I mean, in many ways, to become free in the modern world is, in fact, to become heavier, like get more stuff. I mean, something tells me hoarding wasn't a problem in the fourth century. Hello, and welcome to Why We Talking About Rabbits. That's this podcast. It's aimed at folks maybe like you, but definitely like me, who feel a sense of dislocation. On this pod, we talk about heavy things, but we do it lightly using theology, history, philosophy, years of deeply immersive experiences in foreign cultures. We do all that to figure out, oh, how did we get here again? So let's go beyond rhetorical rabbits for those quickly reproduced media memes. Let's, let's everybody just have some fun for 45 minutes or so and examine contemporary cultural phenomenon, and we're going to use this thing called the old world where we work to take a look at the new world where we live. Want to do it? Join me and all of our First Things Foundation people as we wonder aloud, what, what, what are we talking about rabbits for? Let's talk about episode 25. This is episode 25. This is a two-part episode. This is part one. Freedom is confusing. So, this whole thing was conceived in a recent conversation with my lovely wife. And she said, you know, freedom seems confusing. And I said, it is. I've taught a few courses on it, or maybe just really long lessons. And in so doing, I realized you should probably have 222 parts, not two. But we're going to do two. And we're going to take a look at this crazy concept from the old world historical perspective. But mostly, we're going to try to figure out how so many people get so irritated and, how should we say, enervated and energetic about this topic and just sort of weave it into today's very interesting cultural conversation about freedom. Because a lot of people say that it's going away. But first, maybe we should know what it is. At least let history tell us a little bit. So it was weird because recording this today, it was only yesterday I was sitting in a little coffee shop. It was open, by the way. It was kind of cool, wide open, and they were serving coffee to me, and in two hours, I was the only one that took any. But beyond that conversation, this place was sort of genteel and kind, and it was a little reservoir of coolness. And as I was getting up to leave and sort of finishing my notes on this topic, a man came in with a mask on and talked to the woman who was the owner who had been in there with me just listening to music for two hours. And the man came in and ordered some coffee just as I'm leaving and with his mask on starts to talk about how, well, he actually, this is a quote. He said, the only thing you need to know in this life, and you know, he didn't just come in and say it, but they got to it after a hot minute. The only thing you need to know in this life is are you going to be free or are you going to be a slave? It was really interesting because he was a white man with a mask on talking to a black woman, an African-American, the owner of the shop, with a mask on. And that was his 
quote, and he went right to it. It was a very, it was a moment of like deep self-importance. It was kind of exciting. I wanted to stick around. She kind of laughed it off, but yeah, what a world we're in. It was pretty cool. And so that was just a coffee shop. So my guess is these ideas are swimming all around in contemporary culture. So let's take a shot at it. What is freedom? So we we need a little definition of this. Like I was free to go to the coffee shop or I know people have made bad movies and they're free to do that in our culture. There's aunties who want to marry people, say, in India, and the people who they want to marry, their nieces and nephews, don't want to get married. Is it freedom from that kind of marriage? Is it freedom to curse God? Freedom to yada, yada, whatever. What what are we kind of talking about? So in this podcast, we're going to talk about two kinds. The two kinds of freedom that get all jangled up and confused for most just walking around Americans in 2020, people like myself and my wife. So the first type of freedom is, and again, we can get academic with this, but we're going to do this heavy stuff lightly. So I'm just going to call this the kind that makes you feel political, sort of political theory freedom, the kind we think about when we like see the American flag or say the word democracy. This freedom has to do with freedom from right? Mostly freedom from a government or freedom from those who hold power. So this is a type of freedom that has everything to do with laws and then doing stuff, right, on either side of the law, being free to do what I want to do short of breaking a law. In history, this kind of freedom presents as what I'm going to call outside freedom, things outside of me, things that restrict The second kind of freedom I want to talk about, and this is just part one, wait till next week, it's going to be cool. The second kind of freedom that I want to talk about today anyway is what we might call spiritual freedom. I'm going to call it inside freedom, outside freedom, inside freedom, the kind we're thinking of when we say stuff like, no matter what happens, nobody can take that away from me. Right, This type of freedom has everything to do with will and like internal peace, right? And has something to do with truth and things eternal, finding peace, self-actualization, inside freedom, outside freedom. And the two freedoms, these two types, they intersect all the time. And that's what makes it so complicated in this podcaster's humble opinion. But let's try to not complicate things. Let's walk through history. I love me some history, how it illumines things. So how did they think in the old world about these topics? So I'm going to keep it simple. And here we go. Inside freedom. Let's start with a timeline of how the whole inside freedom thing looks. When do we see people in human history, talking about freedom of this type. Hashtag always. Yeah, from forever. Go back, I don't know, however far you want to go back. This type of conversation is found in oral histories and from the earliest written histories. 
People are talking about inside freedom or spiritual freedom. In fact, it's the dominant theme in what all of us might call religious writing. So let's just take a look. 4000 BC, go ahead, go back. Let's go back to the Vedic traditions, what we would call Hinduism. Hinduism is also known as Sanatan Dharma, which means more or less the eternal path. There's one of our ideas, eternal truth. Hinduism is like 4,000 years old, and it's holy books of knowledge, the Vedas, this collection of books, they're like 3,500 years old or so. So this is a massive meandering collection of teachings, and it's pretty clear that the inside freedom in Hinduism is about trotting a path. It's about taking a road that leads to moksha. And what's moksha? Moksha is, ironically, freedom. So freedom is the goal of the Vedic tradition. But what kind of freedom? So it's not hard to find. It's freedom from ignorance, delusion, and illusion. So it's it's a type of freedom that gives you clarity. So moksha, in its most basic definition, moksha, the goal of the Hindu path, the eternal path, is freedom. And in particular, it's freedom from rebirth. I want to say that again, freedom from rebirth. You don't want to get reborn. Most of us know in the West that something about reincarnation, well, that's bad. You don't want to get reincarnated. So moksha, the goal is inside freedom and a freedom from rebirth. So how does one acquire this kind of freedom? What does the path look like? Well, There are many ways to be on the path, the eternal path, but for most, the path is one that demands bhakti, worship, jnana, knowledge, karma, good works, and raga, asceticism, meditation. So these things get you down the path closer to freedom, closer to clarity, and further from delusion. Ta-da! Now, I'm giving you basics. We could go deeper into that, but that's not what this show is about. I want you to see the old world's understanding of freedom. Let's go 3,000 years or so. Back 3,000 years ago. Let's talk about the Jewish tradition. If you know one thing about the Old Testament and the traditions of the Torah, ha, there are lots of laws. There's the 10 we all know about, which if you think about it just for a minute, they limit a lot of fun stuff. Or, or at least a lot of stuff you want to do when you're feeling passionate, angry, lustful. 10 laws against stuff. But there's also another 613 laws outlined in Leviticus. And then there's many laws that get implied through the articulation of the Talmud. I mean, there's lots of stuff to obey in the Jewish tradition. And so it's for this reason that one rabbinic tradition tells of how all the other nations in the world were offered the gift of the Torah, right? This is the rabbis discussing their faith. And they said, all the other nations of the world were offered the gift of the Torah and nobody chose it. And the reason one of the interpretations is, is that, yeah, nobody wanted all those laws because like, really? That's a lot of laws. I don't want to obey all that stuff. So 
It was too many laws. So regular old Semites of the fourth century were like, no, I'm good. Yeah, we're just going to do our stuff, like build big buildings called Babylon. And we're, we're going to tower back. We're going all in, but not all those laws. But the Jews took the yoke of law. So if you're talking about inside freedom, and we're and that's what we're doing, the great rabbis of Judaism all speak of the Torah as an experience of freedom through the yoke of the law. Hmm. That's kind of nutty, right? Well, in a nutshell, obeying or at least trying to obey the laws of the Torah was a way into a relationship with the lawgiver, right? The yoke of the law was the way to freedom, the way to Yahweh. Huh. That doesn't feel very comfortable for us in 2020. Let's go 2,500 years ago. I'm working my way from way back to now. Freedom, what's happening? Well, 2,500 years ago, you got these, these Greek philosophers in the Mediterranean. These cats take a look at inside freedom, and they pretty much all equate achieving inside freedom with achieving enlightenment. So how did enlightenment, what's that got to do with freedom? Okay, real quick, the story of Plato's cave. Most of you probably know it. But in two seconds, that's a story where this sad man, who represents all of us, is tied up in a cave with a fire roaring behind. And between between him, where he sits, and the fire, all of life in the cave takes place. People going back and forth, getting wood, whatever they're doing. He sees all of life as shadows, therefore, cast on the wall. All the shadowy images are a projection, and they come from behind him, and they go onto the wall. He sees life, but only as a shadow. So this man, remember that's us, well, he's not free. He's tied there in that cave, which he needs to get out of, but he's also experiencing life as if a shadow. So the whole story is about getting out, cutting loose, going out of the cave and into the sun, where then he can see we can see by the true light of reason. So the sun in this case is the true light. It represents a type of rationality, a type of ordered thinking. And so the way to get out there is to sharpen your reason, get out into the sun and see things clearly, and then you will be free. And by the way, that allegory is in no way Plato's advocacy of democracy. Democracy for those guys, especially for Plato, was actually a way back into the cave. It's important to remember that. Democracy led people away from the light of reason. So what about 2,000 years ago, just after the Greeks? We got the Christians. So this one's hard. There are now so many variations on what Christianity is that, well, uh, I should probably just skip this one. But for the sake of a good old-fashioned irritation for all the Christians out there listening, let's just do it. But I'm going to go with the ancient understanding, the one that's still held by the Orthodox Christian Church in 2020. So in a nutshell, the Christians of the Mediterranean immediately establish 
a series of traditions that says we are slaves to our passions. Our gut runs us. Here, gut doesn't just mean belly. It means all the passionate activities. It means the things fallen, the things under the control of our passions. But the chief passions, the real dangerous ones, are actually beyond food and sex. Really, the chief passion is pride. Pride is the one that enslaves most humans. To be a free human is to become humble. And to do this, you must repent. So that's a type of stage, a way to go. And repenting here is something like purification. Then you must be illumined. Then you must be healed. And finally, you enter into union with God, which is deification. Purification, illumination, and deification. These are talked about often in the Christian tradition. This union is, though, it's not absorption. You're not going bye-bye. Right? It's living as we were meant to live in God, right? To live as we did before the fall, which is before we ate the apple and said, yeah, I got this on my own. So it's to live humbly. So what is freedom for, for Christians, at least in this traditional Orthodox sense? It means unlocking from the passions, the things that enslave you. Fasting, meditation, confession, communion, all this jazz is a way of life. Right, It's what becoming free looks like. Inside freedom means inside struggle. You see a theme? Yeah, then we can just, you could keep going, but aslama, to submit. A Muslim is one who obeys, who slams. I mean, I'm not saying that correctly for anybody who's Muslim out there. I know it. One who submits is a Muslim. One who obeys Islam is a Muslim. So Islam just tells us many of the same things. There are certain demands. Now, all made as an ask. You don't have to do these things. Your free will is, you're free. But why would you pray, give alms, zakat, fast, what they call saum? Why would you go on pilgrimage, hajj? All of these things aren't necessarily so you make God happy. Allah's not like going, make me happy. That's a dumb idea when you really think about it. I mean, it's God. Like, he's not really, he's not like feeling sad because no one likes him. (laughs) This is a dumb idea. But it's an offering to you so that you might acquire the ability to live in peace and enjoy, live in a good way. And there it is again. It's all the same, right? And why all those traditions? Because that was the dominant philosophical and religious, right? Those are the those are the fundamental cultures of the old world. Hundreds and millions and billions of people thinking in this way as per internal freedom. So in this way, old world people truly believe that something about human beings are off, not good. A little sideways. We're in need of something in redemption and fulfillment, resurrection. We're in need of something. We're indeed not free on the inside. That's the premise of the old world in many ways. Inside freedom meant inside sacrifice, shedding, dying, then waking up out of the grave. This is one of the coolest themes, right? At least in the Orthodox Christian tradition. When you go to bed, it's an icon, you know. It's an image of death. (sighs) 
dead. And then the morning, when you wake up, it's an icon of resurrection. Wow. The world is open to me. I am back out of the grave. So what am I supposed to do now? Now shed all those things that put you in the grave. Today's the day, right? It's all an icon. It's an image of what's to come, your final death and your final resurrection. So there's something about your life that is not yet fulfilled. And so sleep is supposed to remind you of death and waking up is supposed to remind you of resurrection. That's why you hop out of the bed and say your prayers of Thanksgiving. That's a really cool way of thinking about it is, is the death is because of your heaviness, because of all the things in life that you didn't quite get to, but I got another chance. This is old world stuff. And so all of these traditions show us that inside freedom does not depend on any kind of outside system. Being at peace inside is not contingent upon peace reigning outside in the politosphere of hell or whatever it is out there right? The storm out there doesn't matter. But what about since the Enlightenment? What about the New World cats and the idea of inside freedom? What about people today? How do we get inside freedom? Hashtag, I have no idea. I, I, I don't. Maybe it's yoga. I don't. I, yoga, of course, is a Hindu tradition anyway. That's kind of borrowed. Maybe it's like mindfulness. Oh, that's borrowed. I don't, that the new world starts with a different premise. Inside freedom starts with acquiring, not shedding, right? You're not trying to shrink yourself. I didn't even do Buddhism where you're literally just trying to get rid of the self. New worlders don't roll like that. I feel like we try to acquire stuff to get inside freedom. Inside freedom happens when we get stuff, not get rid of stuff. I mean, asceticism isn't exactly the favorite pastime of 20th century uh, truth seekers. I mean, in many ways, to become free in the modern world is, in fact, to become heavier, like get more stuff. I mean, something tells me hoarding wasn't a problem in the 4th century. <laughs> now, now it's like on TV, at any hour of the day, you can find a hoarding show. How do they have so many hoarders to, to, to go and, and help? And the show's been on for like 20 years. How? How are there so many hoarders? What is that? I, I, I think it's just like a blown up caricature of what's happening to all of us. We're trying to acquire stuff all the time. I'm not saying this to be a jerk, okay? Like, that guy's so pissy. Uh, he's so mean. I, I don't really know what it means to acquire inside happiness in 2020. Is it... I? Is it education? Maybe it's like having a happy family. But again, that's acquiring. If I acquire the education, how do I do? Lots of people go to psychiatrists. Maybe that's the new road to inside freedom. Maybe it's like the confessional. Inside freedom for modern new worlders like myself is a messy business. And I think this messiness is why we Americans spend so much time in 2020, talking about outside freedom, which we're going to get to, you know, politics. It feels like New World people want to fix the outside world so they can fix their inside world. 
as if outside freedom will help them acquire inside peace. I I don't think it works that way, but I I don't know the answer to inside freedom for I think it's hiking or it's nature which might explain right the very the various environmental movements. There's a way. I'm just not an expert on it. And I think it's still it's still being shown to us in, in sort of what I think will amount to a new religion. Yeah, I think that's what's happening is the old world ascetic inclination is being replaced by a new world. Although some people argue it's coming back around. Some people argue, get ready, because what you think is really permissive today, the acquisition mentality will actually turn into something like the old world ascetic inclination because human beings can't avoid it because we're always in search of joy and peace. And so this experiment of acquisition, this experiment of obesity, both spiritually and physically, might write itself. That's an interesting idea. I mean, after all, if there's a God and we're made in his image, aren't we always just groping back toward that in some way? But I don't know. Let's keep talking, especially about this outside freedom. But before we do, I've been instructed by cooler and much hipper producer types, first thing foundation guy sitting on the other side of the microphone, that it's time to do an ad. So this ad is for First Things Foundation. That's a nonprofit that sends people into the world to serve others. That's us. We are looking for really good people who want to give two years of their lives right now, right here, to go and serve. We've got spots in Africa, Central America. We've got spots right here in Appalachia. All of those for 2021, right into the COVID curtain. Safely, I have to add that. We've got your back when you join us. You don't pay to go. We pay you. Not much, but enough so you can do the hard work of building authentic relationships that lead to incredible sustainable projects that target the suffering. So check out our website and all of that. And don't forget to support First Things by becoming a monthly donor. Join the First Things ring and get some pretty cool perks, all while supporting the people that I just told you about, the people we're going to send into the field, who they then go and support. The coolest people, local folks, trying to make change in their own neighborhood. Let's get back to freedom, but now let's talk about outside freedom. So that's my term, outside freedom, but what's it look like in history, this kind of political theory freedom? How did the old world think of the freedom that feels political, the freedom we think about when we see the American flag or the word democracy or totalitarianism or all these systems? How did the old world understand them? Well, old worlders in some ways they didn't think about freedom. To make this quick, the point of the government for pretty much all old world forms of government, think empires and kings and chiefs, and you get it. The, the whole point of having a government wasn't freedom for the people, it was stability. And it was the maintenance 
of sacred knowledge. It was the passing of the torch. That's what the government did. Honoring the wisdom of those who had come before was key. Government kind of did that. It did other things, but in its essence, the ethos of old world government was create stability, pass the honor and wisdom of the ancestors into the next generation. So for our discussion, that's what government was for, order and sacred honor. And in that way, individuality and individual rights, well, the whole concept of individual freedom was rarely spoken of. The collective was everything before the Enlightenment. And people suffered because of this. Well, individuals suffered. You know, creative individuals born into these societies, they took a hit. They didn't sit on podcasts and tell all their opinions. They mostly just put their head down. Who were the creative individuals? Well, if you go back and read or you listen to the oral histories, the creative individuals happen to always be chiefs, kings, and pharaohs. You see, that's what recorded history was all about before the Enlightenment. Chiefs, kings, and pharaohs. They kind of were a representation and a symbol of their people. You want to read about the Egyptian people, read about their pharaohs. Ah, maybe that's not really a good way to go, but that's the way history was done. So the stories of the big guys, and mostly they were guys, but not always. Stories of the big guys were the stories of the little guys. That's the way they thought before, say, the 17th century. But New Worlders changed this. They changed, here's a math term, geometry. They changed the centroid. I did not know that term before this podcast. I am not a math teacher. They changed the fulcrum. They changed the thing that everything depended on. Think think like Galileo. They got everyone to see government. This is New World philosophers. They got everyone to see the government as orbiting around the individual. Where in the old world, everyone saw the individual as orbiting around the government. Now, the idea of the individual had gotten a little teeny little start with the Greeks in ancient Greece, but the individual idea never really caught fire with the Greeks. Why? Greeks, you know, they weren't great lovers of the individual. Democracy, at least with the golden age philosophers like Pericles, it was designed to give rights, indeed, rights, but not to people so much, but to groups of people, not to individuals, but to groups. You don't really see individualism like the kind we think of in the ancient world. The Stoics of Rome, those are some interesting cats because these are right around the time of Christ. Well, they toyed with the ideas of political freedom for individuals. They started to interpret some of their Greek philosopher buddies as per the individual. 1,500 years before Thomas Jefferson, a guy named Marcus Aurelius, he was the emperor of Rome, well, he and other Stoics like him were forming a coherent theory on natural law. Oh, natural law, putting the conscience of the individual at the center of the cosmos. So it's brewing. Christianity is going to add to this. But really, on the whole, the idea of the individual as having rights, the kind of idea we have today, that idea has no real currency in the old world. Not until at least some new worlders, Jefferson, the French philosophers, they started to build a pretty hot delivery system that they would then attach an atomic bomb to and kaboom, 
So the French and American revolutions are the delivery system. They're the way into a new political framework. And that framework serves as this, like I keep saying, a delivery system for an explosive thing called individualism. And the political framework started with the notion that government was meant to create freedom from the government. Whoa! The government was built as a way to free the individual from the government. That's the basis of the American Ten Commandments. I mean, Bill of Rights. Freedom from. That's a most incredible idea. It's a, it's a revolution. It's a revolution in 1776. It was that idea that the government is meant to exist. And in the government, you have to plant the seeds of freedom from the government. Right? And that idea, well, it, it was an idea that was brewed up since antiquity, little bits and pieces, but really bottled by a unique set of brewers, you like, you like this, called Protestant philosophers. When you hear that, just think people who said, you, Stevie Smith, can read the Bible yourself and get your meaning out of it. And your meaning has divine legitimacy. Let's do that again. Little Steve, you're having a bad day. Read your Bible. And in the Bible, you will actually receive the divine word of God in a legitimate way for your edification. That's a new concept, man. So those Protestant, I call them philosophers, but most, most of them were just preachers. These Protestant guys, Luther, Calvin, they're teaching something really unique. And then they come alongside the deist philosophers who had the cojones to say that man was kind of on his own. God's not really around. I mean, he was, but not anymore. And humans are the masters of their own destiny. Humans are the masters of reading the Bible, and they're the masters of their own destiny. This, kaboom, pow, pow, pow. that's a lot of stuff. So... Outside freedom is starting to look like, right, individual freedom. It's getting meshed together. So to finish, in history, outside freedom, the kind we think of when we think about the right to vote and what we want to do according to law and the right to make law, outside freedom conceived this way, it changes everything. And next week, I want to talk more about this, but... I, of course, want to use an obvious sort of person to help us understand it, a Russian novelist. Who didn't know that was coming? Yeah. We're going to use a Russian novelist named Fyodor Dostoevsky. I know it makes no sense, but trust me on this. And we're going to use his writings to make even more sense of how this outside freedom, this political experiment, how it looks to inside freedom people or to old world people. So let's keep going. It's it's rabbits. See, what sounds like dumb, unnecessary rabbits on this show actually turn out to be, when we do it correctly, the golden nuggets. So let's keep going. Next week, we'll do part two. 
And guess what? We'll do it on video because guess what? These same people who made me do an advertisement are also now making me do video. I don't, that's a bad idea. My nose is gigantic and it tends to point right into the zoom camera. Whatever. Look, let's just be relevant and interesting and have fun and do heavy things lightly, but let's also become better, but let's also serve it. Let's do next week. Dostoevsky. Shenny's Gagi Marjos. That's actually Georgian. And Russia and Georgia are not the same place. FYI, do not confuse those two. Georgians don't like it at all. Shenny's Gagimarchus. That means to you the victory, often said at the KP table in the Georgian Republic. That's our pod for today on Freedom. Thanks for coming along. Watar, why are we talking about rabbits? Watar is produced by Andrew Schwark and Daniel Paternos. Our pod is brought to you by the creators of First Things Foundation, a nonprofit that lives and works in some of the world's most impoverished places. We immerse there long-term in order to create momentum for local changemakers, folks we call impresarios. Share Watar with a friend. Hit us up with a solid review on iTunes and everywhere you get your podcast. Please do that. Don't just hear me say it. Do it. Your love for us allows us to serve and to love others. Nachvamdis. Hasta luego, cambufo, au revoir, all the goodbyes that I can think of. There's more. And don't forget, we now have a plug. A plug is where you hear this podcast and say, I'm going to write about that. You can you can just hate what has been said and write about it, or love, or just analyze. Send it to us, and guess what we'll do? We'll publish it right on our website. That's called The Plog. Look for that. First one's coming out soon really nice woman down in Florida decided she had a few things to say. So, Nakvamdis, peace out. See you next week for part two of Freedom.